Oh, Evan, I like your little potential farm over here on the top. I do have potential. <gasps> Ed, why did you do that? You just ruined that city for us. Give me a piece of that big old city. It's yeah. not happening now. You just blew it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can't. I, I actually okay. had the piece to cap it off, so. I gotta get in. Oh, Celeste. Yes! Yes! Do you have a problem with big city developers here? Oh, I'm in it. I'm in it with no, you. No, it's too. Look what you put up there. Hello fellow game explorers! With thousands of board game products produced every year, it's a daunting task to figure out which games you and your friends will love. So we hunt down three board games every show from all over the spectrum. Different styles, types, genres, and themes. Even eras to let you know whether they are worth digging up or should stay buried. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein, Ed Povolitis, and Mike Grenier. What's up? Hello, hello. Oh. Find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we put our ink slingers on the beat to grab the scoop in Penny Press. Next up, we put our highwaymen on the street to grab the loot. In Carcassonne. And lastly, we put our droids on their feet to grab the jewels in Twin Tin Bots. Hey folks, if you love finding out what's in the box, get ready because we have a trove of new hyper unboxings for you. And the best way to keep up is to subscribe and click the notification bell on YouTube. But wait, there's more. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're everywhere. See you soon. Let's talk about the board game Penny Press, designed by Robert Diekman Dulkis and Matt Golick, published by Asmati Games in 2015, number of players 2 to 5, ages 13 and up, playtime 45 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mikey G, tell us what's in the box. Extra, extra, Penny Press has arrived. Uh, the box cover looks like a stack of newspapers bundled up tight with some twine. There's also a ribbon pinned on it boasting of its first prize victory at Tabletop Deathmatch. When you crack it open, you'll find a game board, 45 headline cards, 5 player aids, 5 newspaper playmats, 25 reporters, 5 scoring discs, a newsboy token, I don't know what that is, but maybe we'll figure that out, uh, 60 stories in 4 shapes and 5 colors, with 6 advertisements, five bonus markers, five arrow markers, and 15 little pennies. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we find out if this game is front page news, folks, Evan, tell us how it's played. In the game Penny Press, players will take on the role of newspaper magnates, such as Pulitzer and Hearst, as they strive to become the dominant paper in New York City around the turn of the 20th century. Publishing newspapers is the name of the game. To publish newspapers, players assign some or all of their five reporters to the popular stories of the day. Stories are collected from one of five beats. War, Crime and Calamity, New York City, Politics, and The Human Condition. Those are the five. When ready, players roll the presses. They will claim stories where their reporters work the hardest. If you collect stories from the hottest beats, you'll score high. Also, try to collect stories with the most stars because they are worth circulation points during the final scoring. The end of the game is triggered when one player publishes his fourth in a two or three player game or third in a four or five player game 
newspaper. The player who moved farthest along the circulation track is the winner of Penny Press. And that's all the news that's fit to print. <laughs> well, we played this game on Board Game Arena. I loved the added animation on Board Game Arena. The newspapers would spin out as if it was like an extra, extra in the movies <laughs> yeah. every time we went to print. And they had cool little like stuff written on the articles too, like actual little flavor text about stuff you might hear from from the Times. Yeah, real headlines like Battleship Maine sunk in Havana Harbor. <laughs> it really got us in the mood for goofing around as... Uh, penny press publishers from the early part of the 1900s. <laughs> that happens with us when we play games set in that particular time period, the first couple decades of the 20th century. We, we have but one accent, and this is it. <laughs> so go to YouTube and watch us and you'll hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of our patrons called it a combination between Edward G. Robinson, mm -hmm. a Warner Brothers cartoon, and the movie Front Page. Yeah, perfect. All right, it's time to get um, the scoop. All right, so oh, I... what's, what's the best beat now, Sonny? <laughs> Looks like politics is king. Mm, politics is the hot subject right now, and I think I have <laughs> to send two of my scoop grabbers to... <laughs> all right, aside from the funny accents, what did you guys think of the play? Well, it's a good thing the rules were in place for me because reading them didn't really help, but the game actually forcing you to do the rules correctly was very helpful for me. Yeah, kind of a worker placement game. But you're bidding with your worker. I'm going to send two workers to this story. You want to take from me? You're going to have to send at least three. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And people do swoop in and, and swipe that, uh, that article from you, too. I mean, everybody's going to get points that's on it, but the person who gets the most people on there really gets the scoop and they get the extra points. And one of the main ideas which inform which articles you're going after has to do with your mat, your, the newspaper you're, you're trying to put out. Because each of the different stories are different sized mm -hmm. and you have to lay them on your mat in a certain way in order to hopefully be able to cover your mat as efficiently as possible. Uh, I liked having to be required to do efficiencies when they're shape-based. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Like Tetris. Yes. They, they do throw a little monkey wrench in there too where once you publish your first article it has a spot where an advertisement is going to pop up in your paper oh. oh that that hurt my feelings so much because i love things to be tidy and symmetrical <laughs> and all of a sudden i have this big pink spot in the middle of my paper oh it's a requirement to run those ads each time you go to press because hey you know some someone's got to pay for all this advertisers but the painful part is that they place it for you oh. so you don't get to like tuck it away in the corner it's like slap wherever they put it you got to work around it well i think it gives you an indication on the on the article you're getting where uh the dot is going to go so if you pay attention to that you can say okay well i want it off in the corner or something like that to make my life easier later so much about placement i did not pay attention to <laughs> i know that mike you had trouble with um understanding the shapes and colors on the articles yeah so I, and ed ed probably knows more than i do but when i saw that each article has like three different shape and color things on it and i thought that was just a guide of a good way to fill up your paper i i didn't realize what it was for what was that for ed every time somebody goes to press and actually part of the setup for the game there's a deck of cards with like the article on them and they indicate which bonus gets more bonus points 
they indicate which stories get onto the board where you can actually run for them. And, of course, it tells you where the advertising spot needs to go. Oh, that's how the yep. board was getting populated. Okay, that makes a lot mm-hmm. more sense now. Meanwhile, all I'm doing is rushing to press as fast as I can. <laughs> and I loved that we could control how fast the game moved by going to press because after the third time someone goes to press and you get to choose whenever you want to go, although, you know, you've got to work with whatever articles you have at the moment you go to press, which could be totally to your detriment Oh yeah, uh, if you haven't planned properly. But as soon as the third time someone goes to press happens, then the game ending is triggered and there's just a couple more turns after that right for every other player all the other players get two more opportunities to to do the final things evan of course found a way to torment me in this game (laughs) i had two guys on an article i'm about to go to press and all of a sudden evan shows up with three guys and then (laughs) like at every turn i was like man evan is just poking me right in the eye (laughs) evan did you feel like you were poking him in the eye yes yeah (laughs) It wasn't my fault because he happened to have his reporters on the news stories that I absolutely had to have. I had if I wanted any chance of trying to win the game, which I didn't, uh, I had to go over the after the same stories that Mike had his reporters on those same stories. So I had to up I had to up it. I had to up the stakes. No choice. It makes sense because the stars that are on the articles and what aspects that they're reporting on is important for the bonus point and those bonus points are significant holy cow they were significant we were watching mikey cry the whole game <laughs> because he was so far behind and the next thing we know the end game is, is the end happens and his points shoot through the roof and he wins yeah i was kind of pulling an ed povey where i just wanted to look non-threatening the entire time so people <laughs> leave me alone sure oh he's sure. getting crushed he's getting crushed we'll just leave him alone i was like <laughs> bonus points <laughs> how many bonus points were they ed like the score was incredible at the end. Uh, it doubled his score, I think. It, it was 16 points, I think he got, and that was because 16 out of how many? Out of 45. And what that would be, if you look at the top of the card, it indicates which type of story is going to have more bonus points at the end. And whoever has the most of that type of story earned those bonus points. So somebody's been reporting on war stories most of the time, and that's where the stars come in. And war stories end up being worth 10 points at the end of the game. Then that's 10 bonus points for that person. Yeah, that's the only reason I came over the top at the end was because I had the right article. And it's it's a really cool uh, way to get people to interact with each other. Because you're going to see what's going to be worth more and fight over it. And it makes it even more valuable. And that's exactly what happened. Evan and Mikey were fighting over those valuable bonus points. And I was trying to see if I can make up for getting a variety of stuff. But it didn't quite work out. The strategy there kind of reminded me a little bit of Las Vegas, a game we played a while ago where you can place a lot of your dice up front. But if you wait, just like in this game, if you wait and place your meeples slowly, you'll probably get more articles that way. The only trick is if somebody like Celeste is playing and is rushing to print all the time, (laughs) then your slow strategy of let me just see where everybody else is going and then I'll control what articles I can get by using my meeples last won't work as well. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. I, I was trying to get the articles that no one is fighting over. This way I can just put one reporter on that story and get it and then get a lot more articles. But 
So Lash was just like, yeah, print, print, print. I'm like, come on. <laughs> if you don't know this by now, Celeste is somebody who is not afraid to uh, ignore all forms of intimidation and just kick the door right down in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when a player is given control over the basically the duration of the game they mm-hmm. can accelerate the oh, end of this game so very quickly <laughs> god it felt it felt so cathartic <laughs> to just not allow ed his slow roll mm-hmm. like oh. that was like so many times i just have to watch ed in horror as he slowly and i cannot control the speed at which he does it at all slowly gain his advantages even if it cost me the game oh yeah well it it definitely allowed your crippling impatience to take a, a breather for once. To air itself out. Yeah, to air out. <laughs> it's definitely part of the strategy, trying to cut off your opponents from them advancing in, cer- in certain ways. That has to be part of your path to victory. Yes, it's not, a dis- it's not exclusively destructive. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Penny Press. Evan? Penny Press is a fast-paced worker placement game which delivers big on theme. You might come away wanting a few more options for your reporters to work on, but overall, this would serve as a very good game for worker placement newcomers. Print it up! Mike? Penny Press seemed like a game of Tetris where your opponents keep grabbing the controller out of your hand. Um, I don't know how many more times I'd want to play it, but for now, I'll dig it up. Ed? Penny Press is a light strategy game that has fun bits of planning, optimizing, and scooping your opponent. I'll dig this up there. Get the scoop on the news again. Don't wrap the fish with this one, folks. It's worth the penny. Dig it up. (laughs) (laughs) You guys can check out our gameplay video on YouTube, and please let us know in the comments about that time that your friend stuck their thumb right in your eye and messed up your entire beautiful strategy. Let's talk about the board game Carcassonne, designed by Klaus Jürgen Vreda, published by Hans M. Gluck and Z-Man Games in 2000. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 7 and up, playtime, 30 to 45 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. The cover of this box features two young nobles living their best life atop their (gasps) castle walls and surveying their lands. Mm. One of them's looking back at us smugly, smiling as if to say, it's okay, I'm just better than you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is true. She's looking at you like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the standard version of this game has a start tile, 71 land tiles, 40 follower meeples, and a scoring track. Nice and simple. Uh, if you got this game before 2010, some of the versions of the base set had the river expansion, which has 12 river tiles. In 2014, a new version was released with a new worker called the Abbot, only available in that edition. So, depending on when or where you obtained Carcassonne, that's what's in the box. But before we tell you if this French countryside is worth the visit, Evan, tell us how it's played. Carcassonne is a tile placement game set in a beautiful southern French landscape. Players draw and place a tile, one tile at a time. The tile might feature a city, a road, a cloister, grassland, or some combination thereof, and it must be placed adjacent to tiles that have already been played in such a way that cities are connected to cities, roads connected to roads, and so forth. Having placed a tile, the player can then decide to place one of their meeples on part of that tile. 
on the city as a knight, on the road as a robber, on the cloister as a monk, or on the grass as a farmer. So they become that type of meeple upon placement. Points are achieved by controlling contiguous tiles of land, road, and structures upon which your meeples hold domain. Scoring is by far the most complex part of the game, so much so that I won't bore you right now with the minutia, but rest assured, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, regardez tu sais tu les, which means that's a lot of tiles in bad French. <laughs> Oof, that hurt my French sensibilities right there. <laughs> but we're just going to let it lie. I have well, no choice. I gotta, that's, that's it. I that's don't speak French. Got. All I can do is, is crush the language with, with my bad rendition. <laughs> We played this as our Twitch Thursday night game. You can catch us on Twitch every Thursday night. And you can catch it on YouTube if you missed us. This game was very pretty. What did you guys think of the look of it? I think it has a definite classic look to it. Um, I, I played a game when it came out you know, 20 years ago or so. Maybe not quite that long ago. Maybe only 18 years ago was a new game at the time. <laughs> It is a classic <laughs> starter game, though. It's a, your placing tile is very easy to learn and pick up. It, it's not intimidating. The art kind of just like, okay, this is not too hard. You can play this. I loved the ease of learning this game. I was in charge of the rules that week, so every week when we're on uh, Twitch, one of us has to present the rules for everybody mm -hmm. before we get started. So when I went to go learn these rules, it was a pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, the contextual, I think the smartest thing that this game did in the rules was naming the meeples to give it a contextual reference. Meaning, your meeple is either a monk or a farmer or a highwayman, etc., depending on where you place it. And that really helps you understand the meaning of the placement. And this game is all about placement. Mm-hmm. A quick note, uh, a fun little side note. I watched the How to Play video from Rodney Smith. He is the guy who does Watch It Played. He said this was the game that made him get into doing how to play videos. Oh, wow. It was, it was basically his version of Cosmic Wimp Out. What Cosmic Wimp Out is to me, the reason I started running, the reason I started doing this, that's what this game is to him. So I know it's popular in that regard. Yeah, it's one of those, this is one of those games that people who just want to play casually and not really get too deep on rules and stuff, they always gravitate towards this game. Yeah, this is um, your classic intro game in a sense of like most people who got into board games, especially back in that day, either played Settlers or this mm -hmm. game, Cartagena, as their first game. Oh. Whoa. This is definitely the better choice. <laughs> <laughs> Not into Settlers of Catan, huh? Avoid Settlers. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> it is a really think, popular game for the same reasons, though. It is. It is. But I think it benefits a lot from being one of the first. Mm -hmm. I think if it came out today, people would not think much of it. I, I doubt that. Actually, I, I kind of have a feeling people would really love it, even now, if it just came out. Because some people are just discovering it now and love it. So It was my first time playing when we played on Twitch. That was my first time. Had not even Wait, what registered. was your first time? This yeah. was my first time playing this game on Twitch. I'd never played Carcassonne before. No, neither had I. But because it's so old, it's got a ton of expansions. Oh, right, Ed? There's a lot. There's 10 numbered expansions, starting with number one in, in Cathedral. And just in 2017, number 10, Under the Big Top, was released. And there are many, many, many mini expansions for this game. 
Under, Under the, the big, big top. Big top. Is it the circus awesome. come to town? What, the, the circus come to town or something? <laughs> That's crazy. Are there tents on the board that you have to build? I, I don't know the rules of it. I just know that it exists. It's just it's not a uh, game I played that much. I've only played it with a few of the expansions, like the river. All right, everybody out there, look it up and tell us all about it, because this sounds really, really intriguing. <laughs> the tent has been pitched outside the town, and the performers are ready to thrill the crowd with their death-defying stunts. A new world of excitement awaits under the big top. <laughs> so when you place the meeple, what does it become, a clown? <laughs> <laughs> and a carny? Just like... <laughs> a barker? <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, the expandability of this game is so obvious yeah. that you could have 50 expansions and come up with even more. It just totally, totally makes sense. Well, Evan, to your point, there's over 100 expansions lifted on Board Game Geek. <laughs> a lot of them are fan-made, but... Whoa. Fan-made. Inventure? Sure, why not? Invent your own expansion. Go for oh, it. Wow. It's that, that. It's that malleable. It's that, you know... Uh, it's it's that fungible that you can turn it into practically anything you want. Anything wow. you can do like a D and D expansion of it, where there's monsters. Sure, out there you can have caves and dragons. Wow, a whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> I had so many regrets putting a piece down on the board, expecting to get it back right away because when you close off the area, you get your piece mm -hmm. back, and then have somebody else drop a piece in. That area I was building and just open it wide open so I'll never mm. get to close it again. Mm -hmm. Evan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Evan Evan thinks that that is a press your luck element. I do think it's a press your luck element. And what I mean by that is that you've established your domain by placing your meeple in a certain area. But then what do you do? Do you continue to try to further expand that area of control with, with with leaving it open for more tile placement or do you risk leaving it open where someone will come along and blam cut it right off and <laughs> and and lower the amount of points that you were otherwise hoping to be able to to get out of having placed your meeple or, there or even oh. worse try to weasel their way into it so they get the same point you get you have to share yeah that essentially negates your points for that versus that player like celeste did that to me in uh in my beautiful castle with all the shields, which were extra bonus points. And I only needed one more piece to close it off. And then, oh, yeah. And then no. she shows up with this giant castle expansion chunk that has three open sides on it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. You cannot let people be closing off castles <laughs> and cities. No. Uh. You can't. So that was a lot of fun being able to block like that. And just sort of, it didn't feel so much like a block to me as a getting in on the action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well. Right. Like, I can't let those guys get a piece of that city without me. Yeah. From your point of view, you're getting in on the action. From their point of view, hey! <laughs> yeah, right. You're, you're muscling into my territory. Yeah. I mean, if those two people are competing for first place, then it essentially negates both of their gains there. Right. That's it. That's it exactly. Uh, a key part of the, the strategies in the game, is, like Mike said, it's up the meeples and hoping to get them back. And I was at a point where I had all my meeples on a board. I Desperately trying to score one of them so I could get mm -hmm. my point on something else. So where to put your meeples and locking them down, hoping to get them back is a, a risk. Yeah, like farmer is an easy grab, but you're stuck with that farmer till the mm -hmm. end of the game. Mm -hmm. So giving a meeple to a farm space is a sacrifice. 
There's huge points in there, though, because sometimes those farms just go and go and go. Huge tracts of land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I would say one farmer is enough to manage. Yeah. Unless there's just a sweet, sweet, huge farmland you cannot resist. Yeah. The real money is in the cities where you can get double your points and those kinds of scoring multipliers yeah. and other things. And get your meeples back. Yep. Yeah, if you, uh, if, you, if you don't manage to finish that city, though, you still get points at the end of the game, just only half as much as you would have gotten if you managed to complete the city. Yeah, You get all your farm points, but in the city, if it's not closed, you lose a bunch of points. Yeah, so do pay attention to the scoring if you're going to play this game. Kind of know the scoring ahead of time, or you'll end up like we did in Penny Press, <laughs> with like somebody getting 85 <laughs> points at the end. Ta-da. Oh, I paid attention. <laughs> yeah, me too, which is why I won. Oh, yes, you did. Penny Press? Oh, in this? Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. won Penny Press. You crushed right. in this. Right, because, again, I attribute it to ease of learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Carcassonne. Ed? This classic game was fun to come back to after many years of not playing it. It holds up very well. It's a light tile placement game, and it's nice to dig up again for another go. Mike? This is a game I always feel like I have a great plan for, but never seem to win. (laughs) But despite that, it's easy to teach, fun to set up, and fun to play. So I say dig it up. Evan. Carcassonne was fun. I really enjoyed this tile placement game. Has lots of replayability. And despite the complex scoring, I felt, it's magnifique. (laughs) Creusle. Which is uh, dig it up in French or not, but that's, <laughs> that's what I think it is. <laughs> yes. We don't mind complex scoring. We're bridge players. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I don't think we touched on enough how pretty this game is. That is another reason why it makes such a nice gateway game. This is a pleasant, pretty little jaunt into the French countryside. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about Carcassonne, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can check out our playthrough on YouTube or hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Let's talk about the board game Twin Tinbots, designed by Philippe Kerr, published by Flatline Games in 2013. Number of players 2 to 6, ages 10 and up. Playtime, 50 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. The box cover shows a happy red robot running away with a crystal on his back, tossing a wrench to a smiling yellow robot. Just two robo-buddies having some fun, right? Uh, spoiler alert, they are not playing and they are certainly not friends. <laughs> uh, inside you'll see 13 special order tiles, a dual-sided game board, three countdown counters numbered 1, 2, and 3, a dual-sided crystal track, an active base token for the advanced two-player variant, 18 transparent plastic crystals, three rock tokens, six bases for 12 plastic robots, three blob tokens, whatever those are, six programming boards, six teleport tokens, 96 order tiles, and three mud tokens. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we power up the actuators on this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. Twin Tinbots is a robot programming game. Set in a world where crystals sprout from the ground, corporations are invested in crystal mining. 
You are the robot programmer for your corporation. Screw it up, and they'll send you to the spice mines of Kessel. <laughs> now, in the game, each player programs two robots to harvest crystals from the game board and bring them back to their corporate base. The catch is that robots repeat their programming, but changes to the program from turn to turn are limited, as in you can only make one change per turn. <laughs> and unleash the hilarity of this game. Robots can also interact with other robots, so even the best laid plans can end up slightly different than expected, or very different. The player who harvests the most valuable crystals win, and they get to retain their job as programmer of the most efficient twin tin bots in all of crystaldom. <laughs> Thank you, I wrote that. Beautiful. <laughs> Why is it called twin? Because you're running two robots. You're in charge of two robots. Mm -hmm. At the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't get a chance to play with you guys, unfortunately. Oh, this is oh you would have loved this. You, you would have loved this game. I know. How ah. dare you play without me? How dare you? <laughs> Robo Rally is one of my favorite games. How close to Robo Rally is this it's game? Kind of like Robo Rally Light. You are programming two different bots, and they do whatever you tell them to do. To, to the letter. <laughs> Whether you meant yeah. to or not. The biggest difference between this and Robo Rally is that the orders that you've already placed mostly stay up there. So you kind of have to think ahead. Okay, I want him to turn right, but he's going to, because I can't change that again next turn probably, he's going to be turning right for the next three turns until I get back to that. Yeah, yeah just keep spinning in a circle. Yeah, until you use your one chance because you get him to make one change per turn to, <laughs> to either turn it off or have it do something else. But remember, you've got two sets of commands for the two robots you're doing. You know one robot's going to at least twice in a row do the same, do the same thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's, it's so challenging to try to <laughs> optimize this thing. Uh -huh. They give you a couple of ways to mitigate that a little. There, one, there's a one-per-game opportunity to program or add two commands in the same turn instead of just one. How often do you get to do once that? Per game. Once per game. Oh, once yeah, per game. I squandered mine early, not realizing <laughs> I had done that. So mm -hmm. beware. <laughs> oh, yeah. Beware it's always like, oh, but I need to make two changes. Yeah, oh, yeah. You're going to probably <laughs> want to do that the first turn. So you're going to have to go, wait a minute. I'm probably going to have a better opportunity next time because it's so restric oh. restricting. You're like, oh. Hmm. Only one chain could that either change or add. Your chain could be adding something to it. So you're like, ah, and that, yeah. your first couple of turns, I'm just adding commands until you realize uh, they're doing too much. I can't even control where they're going anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a good way to help that problem is to actually put a couple commands in there that will kind of do nothing when they go off, like, or mm -hmm. might do something if you're in the right spot. So, like, you can program your robot to pick something up. But if there's nothing to pick up, they don't pick up anything. So if they're roaming yeah. around the board randomly because you haven't had a chance to change their programming, they maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe they'll pick something up or zap another robot or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, zapping yeah, zap another, would be a fun one. Robots. Yeah. I noticed that the board is hex shaped. Oh, I love it. Now, does that mean your robot can go out in any direction? Six, yes. Oh, see, that's very different from Robo Rally because Robo Rally's got you on rails everywhere. Uh, there are no, like, uh, in Robo Rally to have the uh, conveyor belt moving you around against yes. your will. No, nothing quite like that, no. 
Nothing like that. No, no additional complications. <laughs> no. Well, we we played the basic version of the game, so none of our robots got stuck in any mud pits or any or anything right. like that. So we did not use every component that the game comes. Oh, with. right. So yeah. you didn't use the obstacles. There's a lot more to this game, Mike. Yeah, rocks, blobs, uh, mud tokens. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that could alter the gameplay. Now, does the other side of the board have more challenges? Well, it's for more players. So it's a bigger board. So if you're playing, I think. Four to six players, you play on that side of the mm-hmm. board, and then the mm-hmm. no, the two, three. I'm not sure. Maybe even four, yeah, I think four players. You play on a small version, and then when you when you get five to six, you go up to the bigger one. Well, I know you guys played on Yukata. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We did. Um, did it have up to six players there? Yes. Yeah, and how did it play on Yukata? <laughs> well, how Very was well. the how was the Yukata interface for this one? Pretty darn good for Yukata. Yeah, it worked out fairly well. It allowed you to see your turn as you did it. It gives you a preview. Yeah. Because normally you have to kind of like do the robot dances, I call it, where it's like, okay, if I do this, it's going to go this. And you're, you're kind of like twitching yourself and, and moving, like trying to visualize <laughs> the robot. Hold on. And with, because of the way this game works, you're trying to not do robot dance just one turn, but it's like, what are the next two turns going to look like? And I might not get chance to change his order in, in, in next turn. So, hang on. You get to see where you're going and you still mess up? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, you kind of preview what your move's going to look like, and sometimes you're like, oh my god, that's what he's going to do? So you can, like, change your move. It's not like you have tons of control. Like, your guys are still going to spin out of control no matter what. I'm confused. <laughs> so when you're looking at your commands that are going to happen on your turn you have two separate robots and they have three blank spaces each and the tiles that you have are like turn left turn right zap pick up drop etc and move two forward move one forward they're limited too so you can't have all move two forwards or anything like that but you place them and then next turn you can like remove like replace one of them (laughs) so all those other orders are still sitting there in your command box that's what's happening it's crazy. That's brutal. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the potential for chaos is just so high. I love it. So these robots seem much less efficient than the Robo Rally robots. Oh, oh, <laughs> they, <laughs> well, the fact that you can't change their programming that often is crazy. Yeah, it is. But there's less slot though. There's only three slots per robot. Yeah. I don't even think I got to a third command on any one of my on either of my robot until maybe close to the last round. Yeah. Wow. I was trying hard to yeah. <laughs> rest control over something that's chaotic. You almost don't <laughs> want to put all your commands in there because it's like, wow, it's going to do all that every turn. There's no way I'm going to figure out how to get to where I'm going. And I won't be able to take them off fast enough. You can lose control, basically, yeah. of your ro- easily of your robot. Yeah, it, it was fun to try to work that puzzle, though. For me, I was using the third bot, mm-hmm. and usually for, like Mikey suggested, uh, either a pick up or a put down. So it's usually like mm-hmm. a move, turn, pick up, or put down. Like, okay. And then and finally, when you got close to your base, because you have to pick up the, the crystals and bring them to your base, it's like, when it's that turn, I would change it to put down. In some ways, it's kind of more efficient than uh, Robo Rally, but you just have to be really thinking ahead to be more efficient. Now, I noticed that each robot looks different. Do they act differently? Do they have different origin origin behaviors? They do not have any differences in behavior, but one difference the players have is every player starts with a, a unique turn ability, 
And you can gain other unique turn abilities by bringing to your base one of the two-point tokens. My unique token was a backup token, so I could place that token beep, in one of the beep, spaces. And yeah, yep. exactly. Beep, beep. And one of my unique uh, powers was a uh, turn right twice. Oh, gosh, that sounds hard. And my <laughs> unique power was zap twice. Oh, So yeah. you can zap your opponents <laughs> and basically almost kind of take command of what their robot's going to do. Mm-hmm. Make them drop their crystal. Make them turn to the right when they didn't want to turn to the right. You can screw with people massively in this game. Oh, yeah, Evan. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> was Evan's the most effective? Uh, well, the double zap. Well, I for me it was the most effective because uh, once again in this third game, Evan <laughs> he zapped me and stole my gem in the same turn. I was carrying one, so close to getting it home, and he's like, "Zap, give me that." I'm glad Evan's catching the vitriol this week. Anyway, it's totally. usually me. Totally. Yeah, it's usually Whenever it comes to Mike. Oh, totally. I, I tell you what, though, it didn't. It did not help me. <laughs> achieve victory in the game (laughs) but it sure as hell was fun and funny oh yeah no he wasn't the only one i actually stole a gem from mikey too just because it was convenient oh yeah no (laughs) i got robbed hard kick him kick him while he's down (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so (laughs) one little downside about the game compared to robo alley is that the turns are sequential so it's not like everybody does everything simultaneously and then see what chaos happens everybody takes your turn one at a time and if it's a six player Hmm. game you're going to have to wait for five other people to do their oh, turn yeah. before you get to go again. So it might be a little mm. bit too much of a wait in a large count game. Right, sure. Celeste? Yeah. I, I mean, did they take a long time to do these turns? Yeah, it took me a while for some of my turns because there's just so much going on. And you're trying to say, okay, I want to be three turns to the right three turns from now so I can leave that. Mm-hmm. But I want to be moving forward here now, you know, so you're just like constantly trying to think ahead it can really slow your turn down oh and celeste i did one turn in which i programmed the wrong thing i went i meant to (laughs) i misread the icon i I wanted to grab a gem instead i wound up like releasing a gem so nothing happened and for me to get back to the point just to pick that gem up again because my robot was also turning and moving (laughs) took like four turns to get it back to that point so if you if you miss your opportunity it's not at all easy just to go okay next round i'll correct this you may be screwed oh yeah but even though you got to preview it yeah, I, <laughs> yes. I, 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 I fast forwarded over my preview. I was, was antsy. Oh. Yeah, you were so oh. so confident about your move. Yeah, you I just... was. I'm like, oh, this is easy. Pick up a jam. No problem. <laughs> Boom. Oh, wait, what did I do? No. no. <laughs> so that that's on me. Totally on me. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury twin tin bots. Evan? I had fun and some laugh out loud moments playing Twin Tin Bots. It's challenging, yet not frustrating. Celeste, you would have loved this game, and I'll play anytime you want on yukata.de. Mine it up. <laughs> Mike? Twin Tin Bots gave me some of the same anxiety and hilarity as Robo Rally, but in a nice <laughs> small package. <laughs> Dig it up. Ed? Thick game was fun. And it's a light game, and it has some of the elements of Robo Rally. I'd play this again if somebody brought it to the table. But I'd rather dig up Robo Rally if I wanted to scratch that programming itch. <laughs> if you have thoughts about Twin Tin Bots, we would love to hear from you. We are on social media at 
everything. Twitch, <laughs> YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Anything else, guys? MySpace. Put a, <laughs> Check out our MySpace profile. Put a letter in the mail. I'm sure our address is on our website. Our PO boxes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You should check this out on YouTube and let me know if this game would be anxiety-inducing or fun or both. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. We really love hearing from our audience. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes of our patron-only podcast, Bonus Points! Bonus Points! Then Go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating, a review, a like, a shout out, anything, anywhere, on any social media. It really is helping us grow. Happy gaming, explorers. Hey, thank you for that crystal. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to make a formal apology now for to my robot overlords for the behavior of my friends here. I'd just like to say that I admire you, and when you take over the Earth in the future, I'll be willing to serve. Thank you very much. Your comments are recognized. (laughs) (laughs) Your comments will not save you. (laughs) Assimilated.